You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, January 26th. Does Jeopardy still need a host? I know someone with plenty of free time. By the time you hear this, today's Staff Town Hall was likely already concluded. However, in coming days, a recording will be posted over at returntolearn.ucsd.edu. For your social calendar, the Farmer's Open is back at Torrey Pines this Thursday through Sunday. You remember Torrey Pines, don't you? What's the word? It's an, uh... Oh, right. An office. Now on to today's interview. I can assure you that it is fantabulous. Because I'm conducting the interview. Well, that's one reason. But also in due to our superb guest, Claire Mizumoto, the Director at Research IT. I'm actually taking part in a conversation for the first time in I don't know how long. Who knows what Mark Herzberger was thinking by giving me this opportunity, but I know I am excited because we're going to talk to a friend of mine, Claire Misumoto, head honcho over at Research IT. Hello, Claire. Hello, Miguel. (laughs) It's good to sort of see you in a virtual environment. Good to see you as well. So yeah, let's just ease people into this. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your role here at UC San Diego? Sure. I am what many of us refer to as a UCSD lifer. I've been on staff for 35 years and it's gone by in a blink. I was one of those who thought, oh, I'll be out of here when I get vested. And here I am 35 years later. Um, but you've been working for UC San Diego since you were born, Claire. That's great. Oh, you're so kind. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was an undergraduate here at UCSD and I just kept working and kept kind of evolving. As you know, UCSD is very much like a little city and there's so much going on and so exciting that you can really, like many of us, you can spend your whole career here and not necessarily all in the same place in the same job. I definitely moved around a lot. It helped me to culminate into my current position, which is the Director of Research IT Services. We focus on researchers, faculty, staff, postdocs, graduate and undergraduates, and the research work that they do and the research computing and data support that they need. We're super fortunate to have had support from the chancellor and from the vice chancellor of research, recently retired Sandy Brown, all um, on the word of uh, Larry Smarr. Uh, He really is the one who had the vision to have a central unit that pointed to all of the services and support that are available across the campus. As you all know, we're a really distributed, very heterogeneous environment. And to reorg every time we want to put everybody who is developing great things under one umbrella is kind of a ridiculous task. So instead, Larry's vision was to place a pointer on campus for researchers. And that seven years ago now was me. I was the pointer. And then when we had the reorg of academic computing and administrative computing, I was actually, I often like to say I was the third leg of that stool. So it was administrative, instructional, and research. We have three full-time systems integration engineers. We have one system integration engineer that we just converted from a student position. So we're really excited about that. That was a graduate student. And then we also have two full-time research facilitators. 
it's really exciting whenever I hear of a student kind of graduating to join us. You, know? <laughs> you trained at this organization and, and now you're going to help that to meet others. It would be impossible to discuss how your team has been working without discussing what happened in March 2020. So I know we've talked a lot about going remote for staff and going remote for teaching and learning, but we haven't talked much I don't think about how it's affected researchers. What do you see research IT doing to help researchers in the long term that has changed or shifted since the pandemic started? So it's interesting. There's a good portion of what researchers do or how they operate that has not changed at all. And then there's obvious things that have happened during the pandemic that have drastically shifted. So not only has it driven actual research to the campus about COVID and about surrounding studies and, and activities that are caused by or are studies of the pandemic, but, but really the research effort is very distinct from teaching and healthcare missions of the university. Many of those people are struggling to continue keeping that up because the research dollars annually for UC San Diego are $1.6 billion. It's a big enterprise. And we continue to try to drive that forward. When I first started and was the director, I believe we were at $1.4 billion. So, I mean, in just a few years, our program, the research IT program is only five years old. And if you think about that, we're talking about a big increase, first maintaining that number and then actually increasing that number and the complexity with which faculty are doing their things and how cyber infrastructure and cybersecurity and all those things affect the actual research that a faculty member is doing. They don't have time to deal with those pieces. So that's where research IT staff are professionalizing, if you will. It's not not just, hey, you're not doing anything right now. Could you take a look at this printer? You know, it's no longer that kind of IT work. It really is big data and it's big compute, high throughput computing, high performance computing. We partner with SESC and the library and national resources to get researchers what they need. But, you know, you you talked about instruction and bringing some of this, the, the whole learning piece of this. We also have to help the researchers to learn to use the IT. And that's a, a very different place than we were 10 years ago. They just really had to know the business of their discipline. And the rest of it kind of sort of was not that big of a deal, but now it's a very big deal. And they almost are at a standstill in many cases if they can't get the support that they need. Yeah, I can imagine so. And you, you're bringing up a couple of points I find very interesting. The first is that so much research since the pandemic started has changed course to focus on specifically the pandemic. I assume that took a lot of bandwidth. But this uh, jump from 1.4 to 1.6 billion in the operating budget for research for such a young department. I'm wondering, did something happen as a result of the first few years that said, oh, this is really like rocket. We need to give this a little more money. Like, were there some results or? I don't want to misinform at all. 
that $200 million is not because we got in the game and we're doing our thing. I wish I could claim that that's why there's been an increase. <laughs> but I really feel for the faculty who, the PIs on this camp, the principal investigators, they're the ones who really have got to be basically entrepreneurial. And there's some debate. People don't often don't like to have that term associated with this, but really writing, proposing, running a grant is somewhere around 40% of a researcher's life. And that's a lot. That's not even the business of actually doing the research. Um, So they really have got to eke out a lot of time and effort to put forth grant proposals. And I think the statistic now, it's like one in four or five that they actually are awarded. So if you can imagine you go through and you're writing a 20, 30, 40 page grant proposal and only one in five gets funded, that's a lot of effort that needs to go on by the faculty or by the prospective principal investigator. So we really try to do whatever we can. And sometimes it's pointing them to existing resources that have always existed. For example, the library. The library has a lot of resources that are of no cost to the researcher, and yet they just don't know about it. Great example of, you know, what we're trying to do or with this podcast is I'm sure there, there are lots of resources that all the stakeholders involved in UC San Diego are not totally aware of uh, that could make their jobs easier or their budgets less impacted. You, you talk to researchers who might not know about what the library can offer. What have you noticed about just in kind of in general in your job? what researchers might not know about what your team offers when they come to you are they like oh i didn't know that you offered this i didn't know i could get this help and where are they finding out about you good question we have a lot of folks who just google and end up on our website right on our web pages so we work hard to make sure that our web pages are comprehensive enough so that they can understand come to us and talk to us and new faculty members often will find us we have worked to be participants in the new faculty orientation and the new graduate student fairs. Often in a, an initial consultation, someone will reach out and say, hey, I need storage. And we'll take the time to give them a quick little roadshow. We don't want to bore them with a long, verbose description. But um, oftentimes we'll come away from a consultation where the researcher, where the faculty member or the grad student or the postdoc will say, oh my God, I took a page and half of notes. I'm going to come back for you for this, this, and the other thing. And so we really try to figure out how to introduce them to all the things that are at their disposal if they need it. For example, we work very hard on the national front. All of my staff are involved in communities across the country with like-minded research computing and data professionals who are doing the same kind of work so we can figure out how to provide better support to our faculty um, and the other researchers, of course. So for example, there's an international program called the Carpentries, and it's a training mechanism. It's a pedagogy to provide researchers with computing skills. Mm-hmm. and programming capabilities so that, for example, they can do Python or R yeah. or those researchers who did not have to do that in their early career, for example. That's really interesting. You know, one thing that we've noticed in a variety of ITS services, for example, the media teaching lab or, or other media services, or even things like the Adobe Creative Cloud in just the last few years, you know, pre-pandemic included, there are many, like whether it's VizArts or dance, so many different learning departments 
who are using tools they never thought they would ever have to or starting to get into technology that they weren't used to and have to, it's a learning curve for them. And so you're seeing the same thing on the research end. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny. So we have non-traditional disciplines, like you mentioned, dance and visual arts, who have not um, had to do compute before. And now they're getting into data, very data intensive kinds of things where they need compute. On the flip side, we're seeing on the normally highly compute intensive folks, they're coming to us with questions about data management how to set it up so that multiple people can have access to files and file structures. And we're, we're doing a lot of training in that regard, how to, how to set your files up so they're accessible, but they're protected. So it's a very interesting kind of a flipped idea of what we're helping each of the disciplines to learn about. Are there different personalities you find you work with depending on the department? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's it's as diverse as you can possibly imagine. We're so fortunate to have such an exciting research environment. We just kind of geek out and get excited about, oh my God, I talked to a researcher in history. They're in the archives all day long taking pictures of these books that are not documented anywhere else. And so they're just physically, they've got their iPad and they're taking pictures all day long. And they want, then they have to figure out how to manage all those documents because they come away with thousands of documents and how, what do I do with all these pictures and how, where do I store them and how do I back them up and how do I, you know, name them. We have people who want help in writing their grant proposals. There's a component of the grant proposal that's the data management plan. And particularly if you're in a discipline where you don't have a lot of data and you don't have to manage big, huge machines, servers and such. How do you write one of those things to talk about hardware and networking and uh, cybersecurity? You need some help on that. So that's where we come in and we partner with folks across the campus to provide them. We don't just propose that we're experts in all of these things. We actually try to be the conduit to bring the real experts to the table. So we'll have a meeting with networking folks and, and security folks and bring them to the table so that they can hear directly from the researcher. The researcher knows exactly who's going to be doing Doing the work and so that they can ask their questions and um, really make it more efficient for everybody to do their work. There's a lot of talk all over the place. In fact, I'm in the middle of a potential project right now. I'll just simplify it in terms of cloud versus on-prem server space. Yes. Um, I wanted to kind of get your feelings as the director of research IT. Do you see this going ever to fully being a cloud-based service for things like data, like the, you know, your researchers are working with mammoth amounts of data. So I I wonder how that would affect research. So I don't think there's ever one solution across the board. So I think that's a super important thing to think about. Um, We can aspire to work towards some particular solution, but particularly when we're talking about commercial cloud, you have to understand that we're working commercially and therefore we're working with some, with a group who is profit driven. And so it's exactly in opposition of, of research and education, right? Which is a nonprofit. I think that there are huge benefits to the cloud, but there are definitely fiscal and financial and budgetary reasons why everything is not, we don't just automatically go that direction. Another big thing, right, is um, we're not really able to leverage numbers to be efficient necessarily in research because research is not 
really a repeatable thing. Everybody's trying to do something new and they're cutting edge and they're trying to move in a direction. So in one way that cloud does work is if you want to put something up and break it down and go a 180 degree turn and do something totally different, then cloud might be the answer, right? Because you can put up a bunch of GPUs and kind of move them around and do everything in, in an afternoon and a week later, you can tear it all down and start all over on a whole different bent, right? We can't even get a PO created in that amount of time. So um, I think that we're looking at everything in perspective. So we're trying to get researchers not to have towers under their desk. We're trying to get them to respect the fact that the data on their laptop shouldn't just go to a thumb drive. And then when we start to talk about compute, we also have to be aware of the national landscape and the services and support that National Science Foundation, the National Institutes for Health, you know, they're providing a lot of things like big, big compute environments. Our own SESC, we're so fortunate to have SESC on our campus and doing their work that they're doing. A supercomputer building, just uh, to let everybody know. Yes. yes. <laughs> to yeah. elucidate the SESC. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yes. The alphabet soup, right. Yeah. So the firepower in just in the San Diego supercomputer is so impressive. And it's something that we try to write fit researchers to, if that makes sense. Because once again, a lot of those services are at no cost. And there is a layer of things like commercial cloud that are at cost that fits for some people. I think that's part of the business of research IT is our ability to understand where the research is coming from and their needs, try to pull away their barriers and their um, challenges, try to enable research and move it forward. We have covered a lot of things. I'm going to go right to what I think is the best question is to brag about your team uh, and, you know, current plans, accomplishments, what's been going on that is, is noteworthy. I've got a group of rock stars, first of all. We'll just start at the beginning, so to speak. Rick Wagner is our principal systems integration engineer. He came to us from the University of Chicago and Globus. For those folks who know what Globus is, it's a very cool file management, file transfer mechanism. And I'm doing it disservice by boiling it down to one sentence like that. Before that, he was at the San Diego Supercomputer Center. You know, I was so fortunate to get him back into our team. He's moved Moving a, um, a bunch of effort forward, he has been named in a couple of grants, so he is an actual PI on our campus. So that's an exciting thing to have that kind of a national presence just within our own team. Alan Moxley, formerly of kind of the infrastructure side of the house, I was again fortunate to get him. He's a rock star when it comes to cloud integration. He's our go-to when we're looking for AWS services and support for researchers. We've got a lot of researchers who depend heavily on him. What one of the programs I haven't had a chance to talk about is we have a co-located program with the Division of Physical Sciences and Brian Hill sits in that position. And he basically, we have a partnership with the Dean's office and we co-fund Brian's position and he is the lead and the principal contact and technical support person for research in chemistry and biochemistry. And that's been really exciting to have him come forward and really kind of lead the charge so that chemistry and biochemistry, who has never had this kind of support before, is now getting it. Part of UCSD's historical success is that researchers, faculty members just figured out how to do it on their own. And 
had to figure out how to solve problems and how to get the support they needed. And this takes a little bit of a load off of them, which is very exciting. And the dean and the dean's office are very supportive of this and of of that department. So um, we're excited about that as kind of a test run to see how that might work in other areas on campus. And then on the research facilitation side, our research facilitators are front face to our program with our researchers. And we have two of them, Sid Burrow-Schilling and Kim Thomas. Again, two rock stars in their own right. Sid was our very first research facilitator, and she just does what she does with such grace. And she just continues to take things on. She's so organized. And she also has got national presence in several different areas. She is part of a grant in a partnership with Mike Korn and the University of Indiana and Research Security Operations Center. And so that's been another really exciting place where we've kind of grown. And that partnership, in addition to kind of Mike's and my work together, have really helped us to partner on the cybersecurity certification for researchers. And that's a way to try to help researchers protect their environments better in light of all the ransomware and the other bad actors that are out there. Kim Thomas is really is our program lead for the Carpentries program that I mentioned before. And she's just doing fabulous things there. They just did a UC-wide training, a workshop, and uh, UCSD had, I think, the majority of the attendees of that. That's very exciting. And she also is working on the national front with some of our communities of other research facilitators. And then Harry Zhao is the graduate student that was recently taken on a staff position, and he's really doing some data wrangling. It's very exciting to see somebody out of the biology department who has taught himself Python and is now doing data wrangling for research projects. So basically, they've come to us and said, we're at a stopping point. We had one research group who said, we can't get this data to work. It's in Excel, and we just can't quite manage it quite right. And he wrote a bunch of scripts in Python, and he helped them to clean it up. He's working with a professor in engineering, and they're anonymizing all of their data that they're getting out of the student activities hub data. I could go on and on for days. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, And Honestly, this is, you're touching on things. This has basically been like, get to know research IT because there's so much going on, bringing up Python and partnerships across, not just interdepartmental, but national. These are all things I think that uh, I'd love to talk with you more about if you're ever willing to come back on. Absolutely, anytime. That's great. Thank you, Claire. I really appreciated this. And honestly, had a lot of fun talking about this. I'm sure everybody will have fun listening to it. Thank you, Miguel. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Claire. Dear listener, we have been accused of going overboard on reading song lyrics from some quarters. So how about something different this week? For the first time right here on The Current Podcast, I give to you a recipe. This one's from something you may have heard of called The Joy of Cooking. Position a rack in the center of the oven. Preheat said oven to 350 degrees and grease a 9 by 5 inch loaf pan. Combine in a large bowl 12 ounces of ground beef chuck, 12 ounces of ground beef round, 1 cup of breadcrumbs, 2 thirds cup of ketchup, (laughs) 2 thirds cup of chopped fresh parsley, make sure that's fresh, 3 large eggs lightly beaten, 1 teaspoon ground thyme, 1 teaspoon salt, and half a teaspoon of ground black pepper. 
Knead that mixture with hands until everything is well blended. Don't overmix, though. Fill the loaf pan with the meat mixture mounding on top. Place the pan on a baking sheet and bake until the meat is firm to the touch and has shrunk from the sides of the pan about one and one quarter hours. Pour off the excess fat mm, and let stand for 15 minutes. Now, one thing I'm wondering, Mark, since you found this, I'm not sure that they had many vegan or vegetarian options in the joy of cooking. Is there a Beyond Burger for things like beef chuck or beef round? I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.